Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash better than the movie. Over 150 titles to choose from for your Android, iPhone, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's www.audibletrial.com slash better than the movie. <laughs> All right, you ready? Yeah. Okay. Hi, and welcome to Better Than The Movie. I am Jeanette. I just slurred the name of our podcast. She is Samika, and we are here talking books. How are you doing today, friend? I am wonderful, and having a prosperous (laughs) new year. How are you? I am doing great, now that I can read again. What happened to you? Uh, Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Man, I tell you, I just, like, had the best of my job, gave us two weeks off. What's the word? Two weeks off, like, I always say free, but, like, we didn't have to use our vacation time. We just got it. Nice. Right? And so I just had a ball doing nothing. (laughs) Like, we had our first real snow, and it was cold, and I said, hey, I don't have to go anywhere and leave the house for two, maybe three days. (laughs) It was just... A wonderful time, and I've just been in that kind of, you know, frame of mind since I got back. Work has been stressful, but it's okay. New year, new me. Less nonsense. Amen. Less nonsense in the new year. One can only hope for that. You're going to hear a funny story. Sure, always. Well, it's probably only funny to me, but we went to my kid, my uh, daughter, she insisted that we get our lives together and start going to church. And so <laughs> so we went to church today for the first time and um, I'm not going to say how long, um, but so after we went to dim sum, it's like a, you know, a Chinese place where like real Chinese people eat and, you know, <laughs> authentic Chinese food. And it's really small and everybody's like packed tight. And my little guy, Maze is three and he just looks around and he's like, just as loud as he possibly can. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Mommy, is everybody here speaking Chinese? No, is everybody here speaking Spanish? (laughs) (laughs) And me being so sensitive to, like, not offending people, I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) Because people look like, and my husband's, like, playing on his phone, like, whatever. (laughs) No, no. No. <laughs> but I about died. It was pretty funny. Anyway. Ugh, kids are a mess. I mean, it's just tickle pink. I can't believe people <laughs> up in here speaking Spanish. <laughs> That's why we don't take you nowhere. That's your grandma. Anyway, so. Okay, I'm ready. Where can the people find us on the web? You can find us on Twitter at better than tm or on facebook th- facebook at facebook.com slash better than the movie you can also find us um and all of the episodes of the show at better than the movie.com and you can email us if you have any questions comments concerns or suggestions about the show at better than the movie at gmail.com um, if you are not in a type of mood you can always leave us a message at our google voice number which is 210 
816-886-2886. Okay. So lit news. Lit news. Uh, this first story we might lay down, but that's only because this is our first show of the new year. And so this is actually something that came out from last year. But um, apparently a Barnes & Noble in upstate New York, I think, Mm-hmm. filed for a liquor license for one mm-hmm. of their stores and I'm thinking that it's probably going to be a lituation <laughs> oh okay I, I I mean that's a good idea it sounds kind of like a no brainer yeah mm-hmm. it says that the, um, they're likely applying for the liquor license in order to sell alcohol at signings or readings mm-hmm. um, and then that um, some of the uh, food that's offered in the store cafes would be tweaked to be paired with beer or wine. Okay. I mean, I think that sounds like a good idea for events in the store to give them that. I mean, I can see myself if like, oh, there's a such and such reading. Um, there's going to be one. I mean, that's my thing. I mean, I would go to that. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite literary events that I actually attended was um, for the Chicago Public Library. It was an open bar mm-hmm. um, to get people to sign up for library cards. Okay. <laughs> Why not? Offer me free booze and all I have to do is sign up for a library card. Absolutely there for it. I'm into um, it. Drinking and reading go hand in hand. <laughs> but I did um, think it was interesting that this article says that Barnes and Noble has shown every sign that they don't want to be a bookstore anymore. Right. I was just going to say who wrote this. Cause they were like the, up top. They were like at the top of the article, they were like the license is part of a test by being in to see how well customers would take to the sale of drugs in a bookstore. Like ma'am or sir. <laughs> really? Um, but no, this is a good point though. This other point, he, um, about them uh, showing signs of no longer wanting to be a bookstore. Um, it goes on to say that they're removing bookshelves so they can stock pasta, 3D printers, dolls, and other merchandise. So this could just be another pilot to test a new product that Barnes & Noble plans to add to all stores. I don't disagree that they're adding a whole bunch of products and stuff to Barnes & Noble that have nothing to do with books. Um, and I talked about that on an earlier show, which I'm reading or listening to that show. I sounded drunk, but I did... <laughs> Made sense to me at the time with what I was saying, but I get that they're trying to do to maybe offer more to be able to stay alive. Like I'm getting that music books, I mean music DVDs, um, stationery, blah blah blah, are maybe they're helping to sustain the store so that they can continue to sell books out of the store. Right. So maybe they're just doing because you know even the Starbucks helps you know people study or they have meetings or whatever they meet there, and then maybe you buy something. So yeah, okay, I don't see a problem with it. Why not? So this next thing, it came across my timeline because people are friends with this author, and so they were just retweeting it because it was an interview with her. But there was a particular part of it that I kind of wanted to highlight that goes into the next um, thing that we're going to be discussing in Lit News, so I just want to bring it up really quickly. So this woman, uh, Minx Malone, is a romance author, and she writes uh, multi-culti, interracial, multiracial, whatever you want to call it, uh, contemporary romance. Mm-hmm. So in this interview, she says, I mean, um, she's asked, um, 
judging from the popularity of your books, you obviously know what to do. Speaking of like knowing how to promote and market her books. And then she's asked, what are you doing that the big publishers are not doing? And so her answer is that she's focusing on the story. She says, big publishing wants to sell multicultural romances as if they are a different kind of book and they aren't. They're just romances. It's the simplest thing in the world and they get it wrong about 98% of the time. Sell me a book because it's funny or suspenseful or dramatic. Give me characters that I can relate to because of who they are instead of what they look like. Make me laugh or cry or rage and you have a fan for life. And I was just like, yes. It's sad that we have to have people just say it this plain in order for people to understand it. Yeah. Um, And it, it so speaks to like my issue with the whole diversity movement in general. Mm hmm. Because I'm so, I'm so sick of the othering that happens when they're trying to quote unquote promote diverse projects. It's like that um, an article I ranted about a couple weeks ago on Twitter. There's this woman who wrote this book. I mean, this uh, list of like 13 books she read by women in 2013. And then someone asked her why hadn't she included any women of color on the list? And then she said, oh, you know, I've read a lot of books of women of color, but they're already getting a lot of shine, basically. I'm paraphrasing her words. <laughs> but then she mm-hmm. double-backed and wrote another article <laughs> with 13 books written by women of oh, color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, my issue with that is that why, why can't we just promote a book because it's good and not necessarily because it's written by somebody who fits into one of these outside boxes that's not white, straight, male, and mm-hmm. so you feel like you're doing something major by just promoting this book because, oh, look at this book. It's written by a queer woman of color featuring characters who are cis heteronormative Tumblr word here. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's it it seems disingenuous to and I know that I feel like I've made this argument over and over and over again, but it seems disingenuous to me for people to um proclaim you know we're so diverse we want to promote so much diversity and instead you just should be promoting good writing yeah I think that so I don't know this lady's books there was part here like I agree of course with everything you just said but <laughs> I um there was a part here where she talked about uh, like the question was how much does the multicultural aspect affect your plots and characters and she said not as much as people assume um, after all, I don't, look, I don't go through my life thinking about my genetic makeup all the time. <clears throat> and she says that she comes from an extremely diverse family where it's not odd to hear different languages spoken. I have cousins with every shade of skin, a skin, shade of skin you can imagine. So when I write a story, I write these elements in seamlessly since that's how I experience them in my own life. And it made me think, I don't, I see it's always such a, like a uh, gray area for me. Because I feel like, please, concentrate on the story and don't make it a... It doesn't always need to be a thing. But when you're writing books about, multi, you know, with multicultural people, I, I guess you would have to take special care to write it in a certain way. Because I'm thinking of my own family. And, like, I have, um, you know, people in my family that are different religions and I have people that are different uh, races and... Um, as much as I want to say that those things don't come into play, they do. And it's not necessarily, um, you know, like <laughs> hardcore debates at the dinner table over race, but it is about 
cultural differences and why don't your baby have any shoes and <laughs> why why and I mean it's come up you know it's come up it's not a secret it's a thing you know and why you know oh crap we had a birthday party for you know my son and oh I got was pepperoni pizza sorry Muslim family and so it's, it's and you know and so it's very <clears throat> Much a thing. I think if you were writing these stories, I think there's always just that line between, um, you know, not making it the center of your story all the time because we are not aliens <laughs> that need to be, you know, picked apart and examined, but at the same time kind of acknowledging those things too. Um, and so I'd be interested to see how she writes, um, writes into that. I don't really read much romance, as I've said a million times on the show, but every, all the romance I read is all black people. So, I don't know how that works. I know there's a market for this we discussed. <laughs> yeah, people love the interracial romance thing. It's not really my judge. But I, yeah, always I, feel like, I always feel like it's really cool if you can do a thing where it's like, okay, the person that I'm dating is of a different race or a diff whatever, or a different nationality, and then make that the story. But I'm always just kind of like, okay, so why is it marketed as multicultural? I don't know. I don't. I get why it's marketed as multicultural, but I'm I'm taking myself down a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't like how when we talked about the the interracial romance um, books that were flooding Amazon, it was kind of like, why is this a thing? Like, what is what are we doing here? And I was interested to read. I don't know. No, no, I'm not interested to read them, but I'm interested to know. What characteristics are they giving these characters that make these, you know, resonate so much to people? You know, like what's the difference between John Smith, <laughs> billionaire white man, and Tyrone Smith, king <laughs> <laughs> of the trap? If they're both dogs, you know, so you, I don't know. Anyway, see, that's the thing. Like, I don't even think that these books are necessarily and I'm speaking about like the interracial ones like mm -hmm. the black woman white man billionaire and millionaire series I haven't yeah. read any of them but I don't from what it seems from reading like reviews and descriptions and blurbs or whatever it doesn't necessarily seem to me that these men have any striking characteristics that make them authentically white. You know what I mean? Right. right. Um, or that the women necessarily have any, you know, outlying characteristics that make them authentically black. And that's interesting to me because then you're just, it's, it's sort of like plug and play. Like you're giving the idea of, okay, this is a black woman, white man, but the only thing that makes them unique is your physical descriptions of them and not necessarily the like morals and characteristics of your characters mm -hmm. because I'd will I'd be willing to bet dollars to donuts that like everyone in these books speaks in the exact same manner yeah and I'm just thinking about like me um talking to my white friends we don't speak the same language sometimes we don't <laughs> like because a prime example is the way that we compliment people. And we, when I say we, I say black women. Because you'll see a, somebody and they'll have on like cute shoes. And you'll be like, yes, shoes. 
You say that to another black woman, she knows like, okay, you're complimenting me. Thank you. I said like one time, one of my friends, I think I liked like her scarf or something. I was like, yes, scarf, come on. And she was like, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, sorry. Let me switch this for you. You know, (laughs) I like your scarf. It's cute. Oh, okay. You know, so thinking about like just little idiosyncrasies like that and it's, it's the language, like the language has to kind of maneuver and move to, and not just necessarily the physical appearance for it to be, to me anyway, for mm-hmm. it to be truly multicultural or interracial or whatever. Right. And I think who does that really well? Hell, Shonda Rhimes does it really well um, to an extent. I mean, and I'm thinking Grey's Anatomy, not Scandal. <laughs> but to, but to, an, to an extent, um, she did a really good job. She does a good job of that. You know, not making the thing a thing, but kind of acknowledging, like when Miranda, I don't know if y'all listened to Watch Grey's Anatomy, I'm sorry, but um, if, or when Miranda had to tell Derek about Baby Girl so hair, yes. So, that was like a, okay, we've all been there, we've all thought it, you know, moment. <laughs> and it acknowledged, I mean, she never stripped Miranda of her, even though Miranda could have been any race. I don't even know she was supposed she was supposed to be white originally. She was written as a white character, I think. And she it's not like she said, Well, we'll just keep everything neutral and keep all of that jive talk out of the <laughs> It was like, okay, so it's a black woman doing it. We have to, you know, adjust. I think you can do that. I think you can do it just fine. Um, but that was separate from your point. But I think your original point leads really well into our next subject matter. <laughs> so Jezebel Gia Talentino uh, a writer at Jezebel wrote an article titled Damn, you're not reading any books by white men this year? That's so freaking brave and cool <laughs> Gia can de- uh, yeah, it, Gia can definitely sit with us Is it too early to call that the title of the year? Because that that just makes me so much Girl, I just, people were so proud of themselves (laughs) Um, about having read diversely. And I'm not talking in just one, this happened last year too, I noticed. Um, But this year, it's like, oh, I'm, um, how do I put this? Other people in the book (laughs) media um, industry were very vocal about having been proud of themselves for reading more books by people who are not white men. Um, and we are, we've spoken on the show before about how um, tired <laughs> and bored we are with this jazz. So, <laughs> <laughs> what did Gia have to say? Um, one of my favorite parts of this. Mm-hmm. Is when she says, the people most excited to say, uh, I've actually been reading a lot of Nigerian writers lately, tend to be white people. The space taken up by being interested in one's own, here's why I'm only reading X minority group project, is often counterproductive to the point. Right, right, right. I, listen, I, You don't ever hear, like, white, you don't ever hear or non-white people say things like, I'm reading more white people books. 
You know, I have really been reading a lot of books this year by straight white men. And let me tell you. I feel really good. I love love when she says, um, on its own, the curve away from reading white male authors is extremely rewarding. And as with pretty much everything that is rewarding in its own right, good sex, thoughtful cooking, giving your money away, spiritual practice, fitness, children, (laughs) the nature of the reward skews inherently private, evident only in its natural effects. (laughs) In other words, just like when you donate money to a cause or help somebody out, you keep it to your damn self because it seems very self-congratulatory when you are so proud of yourself for having done something that really, if you call yourself any type of decent human being, you should have been doing it anyway. But the only thing that does is really let me know that people have been part of the problem for quite some time because it's 2016 and this is the first year that you've read, you know, more than one or two books by people of color, you're part of the reason why we're here today. Mm -hmm. Like, you're part of the reason why we're still having this discussion in 2016. So you just called yourself, you know, you you put yourself out there like that. I don't know. I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of, like, I'm glad I get the need for promoting, you know, diverse reading and diverse books. But like a lot of things that are happening in race and quote-unquote social justice, the message all of a sudden is not really for us anymore. It's skewed towards educating white people, and I frankly don't think that's our job to do. Um, white people need to do their own work as far as understanding um, and learning how to be inclusive and treat people of color as humans, and equality is not our job. And I'm so tired. <laughs> So very tired. I'm so tired of hearing all of this. Oh, hey, did you know that there are writers who are from Afghanistan who write books about women who are? And it's never that there are writers with an S. Oh, did you know that there's this one Nigerian writer, Chimamanda? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, there's always just like, oh, they find one person. That is the, like beacon of diversity for them yeah yeah and then because like, oh, i'm reading a lot of books you know set in africa you know and then they just name one author yeah it's like all of her uh, all of chimamanda's catalog and uh, that's all i got and it's, <laughs> it's just very much okay fine but it's i'm tired of doing i'm tired of that i'm tired of you know a hundred different things that you should never say to your black co-worker like we don't need that that's not for us on any level. I don't care if it's books, <laughs> viral videos, articles, Tumblr, art. That's <laughs> it. That is not for us. I am done with that. I don't care who it is. That is not for us. The next time you see something like this, ask who are they talking to? Are they celebrating us or are they celebrating themselves for acknowledging us? You know? Mm-hmm. And and then and then evaluate it. I'm, I'm tired. I don't want to hear anybody throw themselves a parade because they made their main character a black girl. Like, great. Thank you. Because you can write a character of any race, ethnicity, um, uh, religious background, um, whatever you want to say, but if that character is still inauthentic and not mm-hmm. a pure representation of that community, then what service are you really doing? Mm-hmm. I am um, 
House Toni Morrison, and I am, I just, my, all of my alarms go off when I can tell that you are not writing this to me. <laughs> you are not doing this for me. You are doing, you are writing to, you are creating for white people, and I'm over it, so... Kiss my ass. You and your Excel spreadsheet with black authors on <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel. So what you you're saying to... is that you're not reading from a checklist this year, then. You're not going to read at least three to five books written by Asian females with their left hand Dude. while just... standing on their head. And I'm just no? like, the, the, problem, the part that kills me, though, is you're not even celebrating the culture that you learned about. You're not even celebrating mm -hmm. the characters in the book. You're not even celebrating the writer's skill outside of that person being a person of color. You're just celebrating your damn self because, hey, I stepped outside of my box. And, like, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Yeah, congratulations to me for problem. doing something that is just something that a basic human being with just, decency would it do. Just, it just sounds like I gave colored folk the time of day. That's what it sounds like to me. Mm -hmm. Look at me. Oh, yeah, I don't want to hear that shit no more. Thank you. I'm your ally. Look at me. I'm reading about you. you yeah, but you still make it. Never mind. Let me stop. <laughs> <laughs> Let me stop. That is ins that is uh, other business. <laughs> okay. Go so congratulate yourself about reading a book by a person of color when their publisher still has to pay you to even discuss their book Ooh, on, like, okay. It's, okay. it's fine. Well anyway. Drop is that all the <laughs> is that all the lituations? <laughs> <laughs> I do believe that is all the lituations. <laughs> we have to discuss because I'm ready to talk about something else. Alright, let's get into the main thing then. Let's do it. So, you had been telling me, telling the world, telling us about this book that you read called Till the Well Runs Dry. Mm -hmm. This was earlier. Okay, sorry, I literally dropped my mic. <laughs> <laughs> this was earlier um, in the year um, when you started discussing this book, and it's been on my TBR forever. And part of the reason I put it off is because you were like, it's going to make you sad. And last time you told me a book was going to make me cry, it sure enough did. So, <laughs> I put it off, but over um, was it the holiday? Maybe the Thanksgiving, maybe the Christmas, I went ahead and read it. And, I, and it's called, I'm sorry, um, Till the Well Runs Dry by Lauren... Francis nope. Sharma. Francis Sharma. Um, and it was amazing. Amazing. Do we want to talk a little bit about the book? You want to give them a synopsis? Yeah, I'll talk I'm about the author. Some good reason then. Um, as per the, the usual, guys, we're just going to discuss the book openly. So if you have not read it, you might want to go ahead and um, piece us out until you do read it and then come back and listen to it um, because we don't know how to talk without giving spoilers. <laughs> and here's the other thing. Um, what was I going to say? I think I tweeted that we were going to talk about this book. I think I did. And also, 
this is not, I know we say all the time we give that disclaimer and some people listen through anyway, but this is not like the year of yes. <laughs> we are going to give this, we're going to ruin this book for you <laughs> if you listen to it before you've read it. So if you usually ignore that disclaimer, seriously, turn it off if you plan to read this book. All right, so, um, oh, geez. The uh, description says, in a seaside village in the north of Trinidad, young Marcia Garcia, a gifted and smart-mouthed 16-year-old seamstress, lives alone, raising two boys and guarding a family secret. When she meets Farouk Karam, an ambitious young policeman, so taken with Marcia that he elicits help from a tea-brewing Obia woman to guarantee her ardor, the rewards and risk in Marcia's life amplify forever. Till the well runs dry sees Marcia and Farouk from their sassy and passionate courtship through personal and historical events that threaten Marcia's secret, entangle the couple and their children in a tumultuous scandal, and put the future in doubt for all of them. With this deeply human novel, Lauren Francis Sharma gives us an unforgettable story about a woman's love for a man, a mother's love for her children, and a people's love for an island rich with calypso and carnival, cricket and salty air, sweet fruits and spicy stews, a story of grit, imperfection, steadfast love, and of Trinidad that has never been told before. That's a good description. If you have never, ever heard of uh, Lauren Francis Sharma, she is actually um, an American-born Trinidadian. Is that correct? Yeah. And she went to law school. So she started writing this um, book. She had two kids. She's a practicing lawyer. And she started writing this book um, after several months of building her stamina with Sudoku puzzle all-nighters. Um, yeah, so she started writing it at night. Like, no big deal. I'm a lawyer by day, mother of two, and in my spare time, I write amazing, <laughs> amazing <laughs> historical fiction about Trinidadian people. No big deal. Easy no peasy. Big. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> we barely get this podcast recorded <laughs> in a timely manner. Oh, I don't even have an excuse, girl. I don't even got no kids. What am I yeah. doing with my life? <laughs> yeah. On the next episode. Of <laughs> so, this book, oh my gosh. See, I always feel like, I feel like that the synopsis of the book is, that's on Goodreads, the one that's on Amazon, whatever, is so like, such an oversimplification. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can't. Okay, I don't know. We never really know how to start these. So let's talk about, is it Marcia? Yes. Let's talk about Marcia. <laughs> so <laughs> this book is really hard to talk about. I feel like we say that all the time. But this one is because it, and, and the reason I say that, guys, is because it spans across several years, decades even. Mm -hmm. So things change. So Marcia, when we meet her, is a girl who lives in Trinidad. I forget the name of the, the area. I can't pronounce and, it, so... Oh, okay. And so she, at the time, she's a she's like 16, and she is a seamstress, um, a working seamstress. She lives in what kind of sounds to me like a shack. <laughs> um, and she's raising two small boys who seem to have some sort of, like, developmental disorder. Um, and that's it. And you know when you open the when the story opens that there's some sort of, you know, family secret because she's not really 
um, connected with anybody else in the town. Like there's there's an aunt I think that's nearby, but otherwise there's no parents around, uh, no boyfriend, no none of that. Um, and she's 16, raising two boys by herself. So that um, lets you know there that there is something askew. Um, so she's like doing her seamstress fizzle, and she meets Farouk Karam, who is a Indian. What do they call? It? They call him in the book a coolie. Mm-hmm. Is that racist? I don't know. I think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies. Um, but he is. Oh, go ahead. He is an Indian man um, whose family lives in Trinidad and born and raised. And he is a policeman, a detective. Um, so he starts courting her in a very, first kind of weird and obnoxious way, but then it turns some, into something really sweet. And But she's not trying to hear it. Like, Marcia is about her business, um, and so she's not you know, for the play play, you know, she's got, (laughs) she's got got responsibilities. And so, um, he keeps at it. And eventually he, you know, it's like, okay, I got to make this happen. And so he goes to a, is that an Obia? Mm -hmm. Okay. A woman who is, if you don't know what that is, like me, it is a, a, it's a person who is essentially like a voodoo priestess. uh, But I think there's some it's actually like a religion, I think, a spiritual practice, so I don't want to disrespect it, but if you don't know what it is, it's a lady that does things like, here goes a tea, drink this <laughs> at this time, and you'll, that woman's going to be yours. But be warned, you know, it was one of those things, and he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's it, but we don't find out then, like, what's happening. We find out later, after she's been drinking this damn tea, for the better part of <laughs> six months. Of the courtship, right. Yeah, that it's a potion of some sort and they're going to be together because it's out of her control. That's just the first part of the book. <laughs> and, like, that's, like, the first, like, fifth of the book. Yeah. Um, so, very quickly, they start, you know, once the tea starts working or whatever, I don't know, they get together in the biblical sense, and they get married. And well, of course, wait. okay, so you skipped a part. So I just want to rewind just for a second. Oh, yes, 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 yes. The most important part. Okay. Yeah. So um, what happens is that um, the Obia woman gives Farouk the tea. He's been giving it to uh, Marcia to drink. And then all of a sudden, one day, um, she had gone off to deliver some of her dresses that she had made for someone and she'd left the boys with her aunt. She'd come back to the aunt's house and um, the boys are gone. They've disappeared. No one has any idea where they are. Now, at this point, there are two three-year-old boys um, who, like Samika said, were developmentally delayed, so they probably shouldn't have been left to their own devices anyway. But nevertheless, they have been either killed or kidnapped we don't know at this point and um of course marcia is rocked to her core um and is non-functioning and can barely make it through the days and so farouk is there um by her side trying to you know get her to come back around to life and eventually um they do it right they do and then she gets pregnant 
and then he proposes and then they talk about getting married they don't get married right away right and right after don't they have some more kids in between well so they have the first kid right Mm -hmm. um and then what happens is that um they have the first daughter patsy and something happens where Marcia is like questioning why she's never met Farouk's family and things of that. Oh my God. And they go, he's like, okay, fine. You know, I'll go and introduce you to my family. Dude. Farouk had never told his family about her at all. Or the baby. Um, Was there a baby? Or the, or the baby. Right. Okay. So, um, his parents, I believe are traditional Hindi, um, East Indian folks. And so, uh, he brings Marcia to the house and he's telling, you know, his mother, like, oh, she's a seamstress, this, this, and that, blah, blah, blah. So the mama is just thinking, like, okay, he brought his seamstress here, like, why? Oh, yeah. And so, <laughs> so, man, um, so, um, Marcia and the mother are talking and she's telling her things. She's, uh, she, Marcia, is telling the mother things about herself. She's saying she's from um, this province. Uh, in Trinidad and she's like oh you come from that far to you know make suits for Farouk and she's like girl what are you talking about like I don't be traveling I got this baby can't be going back and forth with the baby and the mother's like wait what (laughs) this would be like um, listeners say (laughs) that you are a chef (laughs) and you are dating a guy, more than dating a guy, you're in a relationship with a guy, you have had a baby with this man, um, it's been happening, he's been chasing you, you're like, I need to meet your mother, like, what the hell, you, he takes you on what you think is a meet the parents dinner, and you're in the kitchen talking to his mom, like, mom, yeah, you know, I come from this, and she's looking at you like, okay, so, you come from... <laughs> You drive all the way from Hampton to <laughs> to cook his meals, to deliver his food for him? You're like, uh, what? He told the mom that she was his seamstress. Why he brought her there under those <laughs> conditions, I do not know. Because I'm like, did he not think that this was going to come out like fairly early in the, okay. <laughs> the dinner? So the shit doesn't go well, because the mom is horrific to her like unapologetic not changing her mind not backing down not interested in you your baby or any future babies you might be having she is terrible don't they spit in her face yeah the mother spits in marcia's face um let me see hold on i had it um highlighted let me see and honey if had i been marcia I would have burned that whole house down. Listen, when I tell you that I would have, I don't even know that um, the story wouldn't have made it past that point. Because then it would have been like, and then Marcia was cuffed up because (laughs) she killed his mother for spitting on him. Then. (laughs) Yeah, okay, so I found the part. Um, Let me just make my little thing bigger. Okay, so. The mother is pissed. And she says, and you, Miss Lady, are the cockroach, and I spit on you. Then, right on the bridge of my nose, she did exactly just that. Girl, stab, 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 stab. <sighs> stab. Stab twice. Stab three times. Get her again. Like, I can't. 
<laughs> you know, like I'm dumb. So up until this point, I was all, yay, Farouk, you know, like what a nice guy, I'm sure. He's got a good job, he's handsome, he seems to really love her, blah, blah, blah. And then she set her up for this failure. So this this relationship, the dynamic with his parents, does not change at all through the book. It don't get better. It's not like she eventually comes around. There is none of that in this book. She sticks to it. So, I thought she was going to leave Farouk. But then she finds out, because the mom, you know, she didn't like her because she was an Indian. But it wasn't really that. It was because there was, because of the secret. So the secret goes, no, I won't say the secret. The rumor had it that this girl had had babies with her. Her father had been sexually abusing her and her sister, correct? Mm-hmm. And that that they liked it, and that these babies were with her dad. That is that? Did I get that yep, right? Yeah, that was okay. the rumor. So, and this was like the rumor. You know, everybody thought this, and so that's one of the reasons the mother was so like, uh, uh-uh, get her out of here. And so she tells. Farouk this after Marcia is gone and Farouk is like oh you ain't tell me <laughs> he come from so like you got something to tell me mm-hmm. like, no and so they go back and forth with this she could have at this point told him the truth but she didn't want to and she just said I feel like you should just trust me when I tell you that that's not true which understandable but he no, it was understandable that she felt like he should just trust her because it was such an absurd rumor. But I think a lot of problems would have been solved had she just told him. So, yeah. So, um, that begins the tumultuous portion of their relationship, and it goes on for several decades. They have um, four kids total. Yep. Four kids. Yeah, three girls, one boy. And they um, go back and forth with, like, he never moves in with her. This never becomes, they get married, but it never becomes like a normal household. So there's a whole lot of daddy lives here this month. Daddy has his own house. We go visit him, and he comes over here and lays up sometimes. Um, then they are cool, then they're not cool for time. So it's very. But she never tries to be with anybody else, you know, not for a very long time. And she's very much Farouk's wife, um, even though he is not Marcia's husband. <laughs> um, he is not a cruel father, but he's kind of um, negligent <laughs> to an extent sometimes. Um, but All the not. time? <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's not like, you know, he was giving, he was giving her money. No, he was giving her money, but he wasn't giving his children any time, love, or affection. Right. He did. There was a point where he took the second daughter. Like, I think there's a couple scenes, like, where he took, uh, was it Jacqueline? Mm -hmm. He would take her out, and they would be looking for him. The kids would want to spend more time with him. There was a thing about his son being a seamstress and not being masculine enough and him not really being around in that way. Um, So, yeah, he wasn't there for emotional support or love, and he kind of popped in when he got ready. Um, but he wasn't totally negligent in that he did at least make sure they had what they need. Um, at least. Because, and I, you know, maybe I, that stuck out to me because I kind of felt, I think when I remember reading it and feeling like, what if she didn't, if he never helped her, because she was already struggling with just her and the two boys, um, what would she have done with phone kids? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, do you want to talk about Uncle So-and-So? 
uh, uncle, uh, what's his name, Linton? Yeah, so this is her rich uncle who is a politician. Yeah, he's a big man. He's like the the chancellor of something or he's a yeah. he's a, he's a high-ranking political official who um, even when she's poor and struggling at 16 he does not help her no out. he's living high on a hog and he he actually is having marcia like make dresses for his wife mm-hmm. um for her you know events that she attends in conjunction with his political career and everything like that but um as far as actually being a good person and helping his niece out because she is struggling mm-hmm. not so much um mm-hmm. and he uh do we want to get into yeah. okay huh yeah okay so uncle linton is actually um the reason that farouk and marcia split because as tamika told y'all um she wouldn't tell him the truth about um the origins of the boy, so to speak. And what it actually was, was that um, Uncle Linton blamed Marcia's father for the death of her mother. And as an act of retribution, um, he raped both Marcia and her older sister, whose name I can't recall Mm -hmm. right now, um, at the ages of 14 and 11, um, repeatedly while the father um, was powerless to watch and uh, he ended up actually impregnating the older sister who was the mother of the twin boys that Marcia was taking care of the older sister um, went on to die and I can't remember what she died from because uh, I read this book like three months ago and mm-hmm. my brain don't be working well so nevertheless her sister was the mother of the two boys um, and Uncle Linton, in his political aspirations, um, came to Marcia like years down the line, uh, trying to get her to go away and go to America um, so he can like run for is it prime minister. Girl, I don't know. Okay, girl, <laughs> he can he can run for king of Trinidad. <laughs> um, I feel like such a jerk right now. I think it was prime minister though. Um, okay. so he comes to Marcia. He's like, you know, I don't need any skeletons in my closet. So basically, like, I need you to shut your mouth and leave. Post haste. <laughs> um, and she's like, actually, bro, I got like four kids. What are you talking about? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just I'm like not going anywhere, yeah. <laughs> not leaving. Fuck you, Tom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and so he is. Um, but she. Uh, oh, okay. And talking about Uncle Linton, I had a. I got to double back a little bit um, to talk about the thing that happened with Patsy and Farouk. With Farouk ending up in jail. Oh, girl. Okay, wait. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what I was going to say. That's why I wanted to talk about. Let's go ahead and throw Uncle Linton in because that's what's coming next. Okay. So when so they're living their life this way. Um, there was a point where Marcia goes to confront the Obia. Is her name Tanti Gertrude? Mm-hmm. Because she figures out that there's something with this damn tea. And well, no. Remember... Um, she ran into uh, Gertrude in the marketplace, and she told right. her, like, oh, you should come see me sometime, girl. And then when she gets there, Gertrude's actually like, so yeah, I put yeah. a root on you to make you come here. 
Yeah, and she also put a root on her to make her um, give her the time of day. Right. So, and then there was some other... She put a curse on her kids because it turns out Farouk is dibbing and dabbing with Tanti Gertrude's daughter now, right? He's so damn stupid. Like, she gave you the potion, the tea, to make this woman want to be with you, and now you mess up with her daughter. How do you think that's going to go? When you know, so, anyway, so the kids are growing up. Daddy's over here with his part-time thing. And then, you know, it kind of progresses. The kids are getting older. And then you have young, fast Patsy. Patsy. Patsy, right? Yeah, Patsy. Okay, so Patsy is, she just is kind of disgusted by the whole (laughs) thing. Like, she's kind of, I think it's like, my daddy is a sorry dude who won't even stick up to his parents about us, who won't take care of us. My mama's weak because she keeps having babies with him and he ain't about nothing. Um, and she just is kind of, I will never be this poor. I will never be this in this situation. So she kind of takes that turn. Meanwhile, throughout the book, this is such a large book. It's not a long book, though, but there's a lot going on. So Farouk, uh, Farouk he is working a case where he's essentially like delivering, um, picking up and delivering bribe money from a big time um, drug dealer and criminal in the in the town, in the next town over or somewhere. Anyway, so he goes, this guy has this house that there's all these like, you know, parties and there's everything happening in these parties that you would think. You know, it's gated, there's security, you know, there's like the weed room and the sex room and the <laughs> kick room and they're all, you know, kind of doing their thing. And so Farouk has been in this house several times. Well, it comes to find out that young Patsy has been sneaking out, right? And she's been, um, I think Jacqueline follows her or is it the brother? Uh, the brother does. Somebody follows her. Okay, and so um, she has been going out, and she's gorgeous like her mama, um, and so she's going out to the clubhouse and kicking it <laughs> all the time with her friends. Well, one night, Farouk goes, somebody tells him about her being at these parties and kind of being in this element, and he gets, he gets his butt. He sneaks into the house, actually, Um because he sees her going in. Let me back up. He follows her until she gets to this to this house, and then she he has to sneak in, um, and she is in there doing the thing <laughs> for some change. Now she was in there with the drug dealer guy, who you know Farouk knows to be very dangerous and a drug dealer, and so she's in there. Well, she's in there doing things, y'all, just right there in the middle of the party. <laughs> so. And so um, he shuts it down. He goes full um, Liam Neeson. <laughs> and he takes his daughter the hell up out of that party by any means necessary. <laughs> like, like, and I'm not kidding. It's actually a really good scene, so I don't want to go into detail because I'm like, the whole time I'm like, how in the hell is she going to get out of here? And who knew Farouk had been him? So he ends up going to jail, like losing his, um, what is it called, badge and gun, and he ends up going to jail. And there's a, it's a thing, like, you're going to jail. 
So what happens then? So. Oh, so then, um, in order to get Farouk out of jail, Marcia goes to Uncle Linton like, "I need you to use your influence to get my uh, baby daddy out of jail." Or the <laughs> and she was not playing. She was like, "You thought?" <laughs> Quiet. And Uncle Linton is like, "Uh, I don't know if I can do that." No. And so <laughs> she's like, "Oh, you don't? Okay." So then there's some like I want to say like political rally or something. Yes. And Uncle Linton is giving this speech and you know Marcia's like I need you to get Farouk out or else I'll have no problem telling your secrets. She's like I am the wife of a disgraced police officer who I am sure that the press will love nothing more than to get an exclusive story with and I will definitely give them a story. Uncle Linton ain't trying to hear it. She shows up to this rally <laughs> and like right at like some seminal point, he just made like some very just amazing point. And the crowd's reacting. Um, she has the baby with her, the youngest little girl, and the baby is just laughing, 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 cracking up and catches the eye of Uncle Linton. And uh, in the book, it says something like, you know, he looks right at the baby and he sees you know, the baby, and then right behind her, he sees me waving at her. <laughs> like, right. yes, Marcia, you better show up and intimidate. And that was so funny to me. I was like, she's so true. She is. She's about that. She is. And I think on one hand, I was like, leave his ass there. And But on the other hand, I was like, um, the reason that he did it. You know what I mean? It was about his daughter. So he was a shit father, but at the same time, I'm not just going to let my baby be up in the <laughs> in the house being this man's bitch, basically. Right. <laughs> um, and so it was the reason that he did it. And they treated him very poorly in jail. He probably wasn't going to live very long. Because you have to remember, this guy was supplying quite a bit of money um, to the police um, in exchange for them looking the other way, not to mention, you know, they could be implicated um, in the bribery if Farouk chose to speak up. So, some other stuff happens. <laughs> but she gets, okay, so this is where the story just jumps into a whole other uh, realm. So, she gets an opportunity, because she's like, I gotta get the hell up off this island. There's a lot happening. I got, you know, Spells, <laughs> police, murder, Uncle Linton. Like, it's a lot happening. <laughs> so much. Um, and so she decides um, that she is going to... Somebody offers her an opportunity. Her an opportunity. Um, was it somebody through doc, uh, Uncle Linton's office? Mm-hmm. Um, to go to America, where she is a seamstress. They're like, you go to America, get your paper stacked up, you could bring your kids, it'll be... Fantastic. At this point, now remind mind you, when the story started, she's like 16. At this point, I would say she's probably in her mid 30s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very beautiful lady, you know. And so it's like she's gonna go to America. She'll be great. She's very talented seamstress. Awesome. So she's like, I'm doing it, and everybody is like, okay. Um, Jacqueline, who is her, you know, kind of quote unquote good daughter, her go to, you know, her ride or die kid who she can kind of depend on and do the right thing for the most part slips up and then she go tell Farouk that she's leaving yeah she's like 
um, she goes to her father because she didn't want her mother to leave. She goes to her father and she's like, Dad, mom said she's going to the United States. And on top of that, she fucking somebody at the crib. Mm -hmm. So, of course, this sends Farouk off the deep end. Um, and what what was crazy is that, like, the uh, Jackie thought that um, the lawyer guy who was coming over and giving her the information, and when I say her, I mean Marcia, who was giving Marcia the information about um, going to the States was actually the man, but it was actually Farouk's, like, colleague right like wasn't it one of his fellow officers it was the that one that got, was, I feel like it was, got it him locked really, up yeah I feel like it wasn't they didn't explicitly say it for whatever reason they gave him a different name but I think it was the one that got him into the bribery scandal in the first place okay that's just kind of how I took it that's yeah. how I but so she's pissed at Jacqueline which I kind of felt bad for Jacqueline at this point and we'll talk about a little bit about the kids um in just a minute, but Jacqueline is, for the most part, the kid that does what she's supposed to do, and um, she's the opposite of Patsy in that she is smart, you know, she's got her a little boo, but she's very, you know, kind of keeps him at a distance, at a respectable distance, she takes care of her younger siblings, etc., so she's very much... Um, the good kid, and then the her, by her telling Farouk this, and it might have been, I got the sense that she just didn't want her mama to go, and it was some other shit involved too, but, um, so she's pissed, and she tells her, like, she goes off on Jacqueline, like, you, <laughs> she, don't tell, don't, your mama ever tell you, don't be telling nobody what goes on in this household, um, and that's kind of what, how she does her, so, Marcia goes, to America. This is where the S hits the F, as we like to say, even though it kind of already has several times over in this book. She gets to America and um, she meets some white people. Well, no, they're the people who were supposed to be her employers. Right. They were the ones that she, uh, that the lawyer, I forget his name, set up the arrangement for her to come work for them as a seamstress. Right. So they pick her up from the airport and she's like, okay, I want me to see this. And she goes to this house in the middle of Maryland. Maryland. And I was about to say Iowa, Nebraska, <laughs> South Dakota. Anyway. And so they, um, these people, it's a white couple, and they um, apparently own a store of some sort um, in the town. And so they're like, hey, um, our house. <laughs> is undergoing some, you know, renovations with some other myths. And so, for the time being, we're going to have you sleep out in this barn. It's really the best option. And this barn is cold with kind of like this, like, whatever bathroom situation you would have in a barn, and it's like a bed, and it's... And remind, it, it, was a, it was a barn, y'all. So they put her out there. That's where she stayed. And eventually, it turns into a situation where... Um, the husband is, the wife is nice, you know, kind of looking for company, um, and she's cool for the most part, but the husband is like, we already had one of these <laughs> Caribbean ladies, and she stole from us, and you ain't ever coming up in the house, and she, he was, yeah, so he was one of those, and he was very mean, he was mean to his wife, and he was me definitely mean to Marcia, so, like, she's supposed to be, like, writing letters home, I don't think that the they got set for a very long time and the conditions started to get worse 
because she's like, I'm not really feeling this. She tried to leave. <laughs> Can you want to talk about her escape? Okay, so she tried to escape the first time. Um, she and the wife were in town at the grocery store. <laughs> and she, um, you know, they're finishing up the transaction. They're trying to leave. And she just takes off running. She's like, fuck it. I can't deal with these people no more. They got me locked up in this barn. I don't have time for this. I need to get away. And so she takes off running and the wife is like, she gets a um, security guard and she's like, stop that woman. She stole my purse, blah, blah, blah. And the guard like chases at the Marcia, um, you know, gets her, pins her down or whatever. And then the wife is like, oh, just kidding. My purse is right here the whole time. Ha ha. That's my maid. Oh, she like, she, she doesn't speak English well. Yeah. Yeah, so she just got a little excited and ran away. And it's like, really, girl? Um, and she tells her, if you say anything, because like you said, at this point, they were locking her in the barn at night. Um, and she's like, if you say anything, I'll tell them the money is missing, and then you'll go to jail, and you'll never see your kids again. <laughs> yes. And what's crazy is that, so like, the whole time, though, whatever, that they have her... Um, there she's making like bootleg clothes mm -hmm. that they are sewing designer labels into and then selling them at like this consignment shop yeah and, and so one day i forget why the wife takes her with her oh because she works her so marcia look figures out like okay i can't just um I can't just run, ask her to take me to the store and run again. She doesn't trust me. So she starts gaining her trust because That's the wife right. is obviously like kind of a little bit battered by this husband too. And so she starts talking to her and talking about her kids and talking about her life. And she makes the woman like a really kind of banging dress. Um, and it's just, she, she gets her back in her good graces. Now we're talking like, we're kind of talking about this over, this is over, it seemed like several months um, of this, and so, I mean, there are points where the woman is sick, and she's, and Marcia decides, like, not the woman, I'm sorry, Marcia is really sick, like a cold or something really bad, and she's asking for medicine, she drinks her little soup, and she keeps not asking for much, because she wants to seem, I feel like she wants to seem contrite, and she wanted to seem like, you know, okay, I, you know, so, um, and she gets this woman to start caring for her again, after she's tried to escape. And yes, we're talking about escapes. No, this is not in the 1800s. This is like, some, seems like the 60s. Yeah. And so um, the woman takes her in town to get her hair done. And Marcia is described as a woman with long, curly hair. I'm thinking like a good 3A. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Maybe a nice mid-back 3A hair length and this white woman takes her to the white lady hair salon and they're all like okay girl and this woman just gets to chopping and something in Marcia is like why are you cutting my hair like this but she doesn't <laughs> stop her and so by the time she's done Marcia's hair is all <laughs> checked up <laughs> then she takes her to their store and that's where she sees that all of her designs and all of the things that she's been making are being sold in the store. And mind you, she is getting paid like 20 bucks a week or some shit. Not even that. Like, yeah. th that was what was promised, wasn't it? Like, she was promised 20 bucks a week, but they only ended up giving her like 750 or some crazy-ass yeah. number like that. 
she's like, at this rate, I'll never be able to get my kids here, you know, with this. And so um, she sees that, gets pissed. I forget how she distracts everybody, but she does, and she runs away. And this time she's successful because she takes the lady's money but not the purse or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so um, she runs, and does she hitchhike to the bus station? I think so. I don't remember. My brain she is... I feel like she hitchhikes to the bus station. And she gets there, gets herself a ticket, and gets the hell up out of Maryland. Um, and then she ends up in New York, where a whole lot of this like kind of New York section, um, she is. it was very depressing because she had nothing. So you're going through several parts of this book where she just, she's living as a homeless person. Because mm-hmm. well, she is a homeless person. So yeah. just imagine, like, I can't imagine it now, definitely. But imagine you being dropped in New York City with maybe, like, 60 bucks. And you've never been to New York City. And you've never been to America. And you don't know anything. And you don't have anything. You barely speak English. And you don't know anybody. Right. So talk about pulling yourself up to your from your bootstraps, by your bootstraps. I mean, she, you know, you hear people say, like, my parents came to this country with nothing. Like, if this is what they're doing, they're genuinely coming here with nothing. Um, and so she does eventually make her way. And, I mean, I kept thinking, like, how is she going to get out of this? And I'm not even from a reader's perspective, but from a writer's perspective. I'm like, what realistic way is she going to make for this lady to get on her feet? Um, but she does. And um, it takes a lot of time for her to get shit together. And then there's some more drama, which I don't think we need to go um, into because we've given lots of details so far. Right. Um, but while she's gone, the kids haven't heard from her very often. And they had it in their minds that she was trying to get away from them anyway. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't they, think they... they see it as neglect rather than it being her genuinely just not being able to communicate with them. Yeah. And so um, Jacqueline has like a bit of resentment because she's been the one basically holding everything together since the mother's been gone. Uh, Patsy ain't worth a damn um, because all she want is money and dudes. And um, the brother Wesley, he ain't worth a damn neither because he just has no marketable life skills. And the baby is the baby, so she can't do too much of anything. And so um, Jackie's been responsible basically for, you know, ensuring that the little sister is getting off to school and all of that stuff. Um, and then she also works at a factory. Right. Is this right? She works yeah. at a factory? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, she's basically the main breadwinner for the household in addition to trying to keep everything together. And so at some point, the youngest, um, Yvonne, falls sick mm-hmm. um, from some um, ailment that no one can readily identify. And so did she get sick the first time before Marcia left? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She, and they just kind of like give her some tea and she'll be all right. Right. And so she gets a little bit better, but then um, the sickness comes back and it's worse. And so um, she, uh, Jackie can't find their father. Uh, Patsy's nowhere to be found. Um, when 
the baby falls sick, it happens on the weekend. So there's like no doctor readily available to help. And so Jacqueline remembers that her mother told her like, if for some reason, circumstances are too much to bear and there's no one here to help you, go to, um, uh, I forget the name of the town, but go to this town and ask for South's. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. South will be able to help you so um, just so happens that um, one of Patsy's boyfriends like comes by the house looking for her Patsy isn't there but the dude has a car and so Jackie is like hey can you take me and my sister to this town blah 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 the guy's like uh, no it's going to take me like the entire day to drive there and back like are you crazy so Jackie pretty much is like, oh, but you'd be doing this as a favor to Patsy and think about how much she'll be appreciative of you helping out her little sisters and blah, 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 whatever. So nevertheless, do falls for her because he's dumb and he drives them over to the town. And mm-hmm. so um, they get to the town. Um, Yvonne is just like completely out of it at this point. I think um, Jackie leaves her like in a storm drain while she wanders the town looking for South. Um, And so finally um, she gets help from like a couple women at this church who say, Oh, South lives at this house or whatever. So she goes to the house, old man opens up the door. She's like, Hey, I'm looking for South. He's like, who are you? What do you want with South? She's like, what does that matter? Like, is he here? Do you know him? So they go through this whole back and forth thing, and um, it turns out that South is actually Marcia's father, the girl's mm-hmm. grandfather. And yeah. so, you know, she tells him why she's there and how um, Yvonne is sick. And so they go retrieve her um, and bring her to the house and try to these different like herbal remedies to help her or whatever. Um, but unfortunately, it does not work out, and Yvonne does end up passing yeah. while at the house. It was an appendix thing, it seems like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Ben's get a little bit mixed up for me at this point. Okay. Farouk comes to South's, but then Jackie isn't there at the point when he comes. Right. He figures out that they're there, and he, um, I think it was on his way back. Okay. But, yeah. So, while... She's there, you know, the whole time the grandfather, the girl's grandfather, he's there, and he also lives with two other men, um, and they all work, and he take, it seems like, you know, at first it's like these men are roommates, but then it becomes obvious that there's something about them, and Jacqueline kind of sees this, and Farouk sees it too, I believe, and it turns out that um, the two men who live with him are the two babies that were, that, um, that um, Marcia was raising from the beginning, and so they were not taken. They were, they were taken, but they were taken to her father to take care of by Uncle So and So. Yeah. So um, that's pretty much it. Um, some other stuff happens. <laughs> Farouk ends up in a bad, let's see, car accident. Mm-hmm. And um, you know they couldn't get a hold. All this time, Marcia is in um, New York, scraping and surviving, <laughs> trying, trying to get ahead, get some money together to get her children. And they finally, she finally gets a good kind of working situation where she's taking care of some white person who is ill and uh, who is also rich. And she's doing a little bit better. She's doing a lot better, and she's ready to bring her babies. You know. Um, 
to New York. And so she, like I said, after much, um, what do you call it, um, back and forth, they end up um, getting in touch and telling her um, not only is Farouk in the ICU, but that they have lost baby Yvonne and she comes back to Trinidad, checks up on Farouk, gets her kids, and gets the hell out of there. Is that safe? Mm-hmm. All right. So, and we told you pretty much the whole book, but the reason that we did that is because it's such a large and epic book, and this is why I told you, make sure you turn it off if you have not read it. And if you have read it and you stuck through the whole explanation, Mazel. So, what did you think of Marcia? Did you like her? Was she a likable character? So, yes. Because I thought that she was very resourceful and I thought that she was an authentic person. Mm-hmm. And I felt like she cared about the people in her life. Um, she may not have shown it in the best of ways. But I think that comes from being emotionally stunted herself. Um, but I definitely think that the love was there and she tried to show it in the ways that she knew how. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was just really dealt a shitty hand at life in all aspects. Um, And it kept piling on. Like there was no end in sight for her misery. Mm. Mm. I thought, I think I would have, I liked her at first. And then when she got to fooling with Farouk, I didn't like her anymore it was something about like him I mean he's a man and he she is just like the epitome of you know strong black woman and she's taking care of these babies and she's making her little teenage way through the world and not really caring what people think and and then she meets Farouk and it just kind of turns her life upside down you know um, with all of his stuff because a lot of the things that happen in her life are because of his stuff you know his Going and talking to the Obia, the Obia, the um, and getting her involved, and then this other woman, and then him uh, going Liam Neeson in the drug house, and his <laughs> just you know all of his bullshit, you know, and so that becomes such a content, you know a huge part of her life where she doesn't have anything left to give her kids um, because I feel like she's given so much to Farouk, you know. And I, I don't know. I just, I won't say she wasn't likable, but I won't say that I liked her. Like, I wasn't, she wasn't a character that I was rooting for the whole time. I was rooting for her when those white people had her trapped up in the barn, because I was like, what in the hell is this? But otherwise, I wasn't, like, a huge fan of hers. I was big on Jacqueline. I liked Jacqueline, the second daughter. Yeah, she's the person. She's the person who had the most common sense in this entire book. Yeah, um, which is crazy that like a kid is the one who has the most sense out of all these adults in this book. Um, but I was going to ask. I remember you said initially you liked Farouk when he was courting her. Mm-hmm. So did it turn for you, um, or at what point did he turn for you? Uh, when he let his mama spit up in her face. <laughs> See, because, like, I didn't like Farouk to begin with. Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, just everything about him seemed disingenuous. And so I was really hoping that 
it was not going to be the jam with him, but unfortunately, um, you know, it, it was meant to be, but he, like the fact that he went to a root woman, get yeah. somebody like to go find somebody else. Like, especially from the way that they described him, he was supposed to be like this well sought after dude because he was handsome and, you know, had the prestige of being a police detective or whatever. So like, why are you stressing this young girl whose life is already hard enough? Like, why are you fucking it up even more? Cause it's what you want. Like you just, cause you want her. You right. don't care about anything else. Um, yeah, I get that. And then he starts, then he just starts acting like a, I thought he was, I don't know what I, I didn't go into this book with expectations because the, the synopsis was so um, kind of vague. And so I felt like, was this going to be a love story, like good or a love story, like bad? Like I wasn't really sure. And then, you know, it started, I thought it was kind of romantic and then I didn't really you know, register like what you just said about it, how it being extremely manipulative to put a root on her to make her <laughs> fall in love with you, but then just started acting like a regular ass man. <laughs> 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 I was like, so there's no knight in shining armor here. Yeah, he definitely uh, was fuckboy, like, from jump. Yeah. So, um, what else? Did you feel like, how do you feel like Marcia had, she, nothing had ever happened to her brothers. How do you think things would have done, been different for her? Wait, huh? Like if her brothers had never gone missing? Oh, I don't think things would have necessarily been that different. I think Farouk still would have tried to worm his way in regardless. Because I feel like before the boys were taken, um, he he wasn't a fan, but then uh, he he gained like some sort of acceptance, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I know I can't move them, so oh well. Yeah, they're gonna be here, but I still want her. So I think that um, the course of her life would not have changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, it just would have been more children affected. Mm. Yeah, I think. I initially thought that he took the kids and did something with them. I did. I, I mean, I, I know that was quickly dispelled, but initially I was like, oh, he even took those children to get them out of the way. Because, you know, she that was one of the reasons why she wasn't trying to deal with him. Because yeah, I she, thought old girl put a root on him. <laughs> yeah, I had that too. So, um, when she went to New York, that whole part of it, I was just like, I don't know why that seemed so... Plausible. Yes, that's the part of the book I just was like, she could have ended this book after she escaped from white people. I don't know how, but the New York part to me was just so like... It was a lot happening there. Yeah. Because like, first she was homeless, then she randomly meets this Trini guy on the train um, and he just happens to know somebody who has a job and the person who has a job just happens to know somebody who has a room to rent in their apartment and that lady just happened to know of a better job right like all of this happenstance i mean maybe i don't know how the network of immigrants works and so maybe it is just that dope where it's like oh you know we have this connection because we're from the same place so whatever i can do to help you i will 
Um, but it certainly didn't seem like that because the um, the guy that she met initially on the train, his mother was not here for her at all. She was like, why are you bringing home strays into my house? Right. And she just came in here using up all my good water. As this <laughs> child. <laughs> my this mother's up to the gallons. She has used 8.5 gallons of my water. <laughs> she said, I am just trying to figure out who is going to pay for all the hot water you have used in that shower, young woman. <laughs> but as you would, though, you came home and your son, who probably ain't supposed to be living there himself, <laughs> brought a homeless lady there talking about she's from Trinidad, too. Who cares? She's homeless and she just got this struggle up in my bathtub and <laughs> you ain't even ask me yeah I yeah, think so that, was... that whole thing like I don't know if that I, I don't know if it's because I don't have knowledge of how that whole thing works or you know it's I... just it was very like uh I don't really buy that things can just click into place like this and I also felt like Marcy would have been smarter than to go to New York without a plan I mean to go to the US without a distinct where am I going? Where can I be reached? What is happening? Like, she and that's was, the thing. I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. She was essentially like in a slave situation um, for a while. And it was like nobody knew where to look for her. Nobody went to Uncle Leonard and said, wait a minute, who is this lawyer and where is my mama? Like it was very much like they, it was written like it was some sort of miscommunication like we thought she didn't want to be around us and so she's gone for however many months and nobody's heard from mama oh well and <laughs> we just gonna carry on and then I just I don't know something in me felt like if I was somebody said hey you're gonna go to India and there's a job waiting for you <laughs> when you get there just go I'm not gonna just go I mean obviously I have like modern technology and Google but even so, I don't think I would just go. And Marcia just didn't take, didn't strike me as someone who was that stupid. And especially it being some of Uncle Leonard's people. What's his name? Lintel. Lintel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Uncle Lintel. Um, yeah, see, I think part of that was her naivete um, mm. and her just lack of general knowledge of how the world works mm. and the language barrier. Because I felt like the children were sending letters to communicate to her, but she wasn't getting them. Because at one point, didn't the white lady say like, oh, I was telling my sister, like, your daughter has beautiful penmanship. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, like, bitch, how you know about her daughter's penmanship? And why you ain't getting these letters to her? Girl. So. That mama, mama was, oh, gosh, the white people were, oh, God. The white people in the book were um, <laughs> very much horrific. Yes. Um. So overall, I liked the book. Like I said, there were parts of the book that I felt could have been edited out, especially that whole New York. Um, well, I don't want to say the whole New York thing, but parts of it. Um, I was happy with them not ever coming to America. Like, it just it was weird, right? Like, it was... I know what she was trying to do to make it like this saga and, like, kind of this is how people get to America and kind of writing that... But I, don't you think it could have ended without them going to America? Or maybe she comes back quicker or some other reason, something else yeah, takes her I, out of I kind of feel like she probably could have escaped, went somewhere, found a job, and went back home and tried to rebuild her life there quicker. Mm -hmm. um, because like you said, like the whole New York thing, like I, I didn't, it didn't seem necessary to me. Right. 
um, for as long as it went on. Yeah. I just didn't need her to go to America at all. Like, I wish that the author would have found a different way for her to find out about the boys being alive um, still. But I just was like, I could have, I was happy in Trinidad, and I did not. <laughs> and then it's always kind of that, like, you know, I always, and I, when you hear these stories about people having these, like, high expectations of what America's going to be like for them, and then they get here, and it's like, oh, um, I'm always like, why do these people go to New York? That is not symbolic of how, you know, the rest of the country is in terms of affordability and ability to just make it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that's all people know. So I guess I just, like I said, I didn't dislike any parts of this book. I would have even like the whole story about, you know, uh, a family that immigrates to the United States and how they kind of build a life, you know, and how they build something from nothing here. That could have been its own book, more fleshed out, um, totally, but I didn't need it tacked on to the end of this already very heavy um, story. Um, I also didn't need her to kill that, like Yvonne. Yvonne. I know, I didn't need her to die either. Yeah, I was really kind of gutted over that. That was one of the things um, in the book that just came on so quickly and suddenly, and I didn't understand why it needed to happen because it didn't necessarily. I mean, I guess it kind of moved the plot along in order to bring South in and then to see the boys were alive. But mm-hmm. like you said about like Marcia having to go away, like I felt like there was another way that that could have been done. Yeah, and I didn't necessarily. I was sad. I don't mean to sound like a jerk, but I was sad that she died especially with her mama being gone. But, like, if it had been Jacqueline, I think I would have been just distraught. Like, oh, my God. Well, that's why, why like, Jacqueline played more of a major role. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so. For me, I think Yvonne was just kind of like, oh, baby of the family. And so she didn't really have much growth in that character. That character didn't grow very much, so I just kept thinking of her as, like, a baby the whole time. And so I was like, oh, she's eight. You know, so that was very much... um, another one of those things where I was like, I, she did use the, the, the death to pull the story along, but I just wish that she'd have found another way. Otherwise, I really, really, really like this book. Um, and it was a pleasant surprise. Um, was this one of the books that Val mentioned in her honorable mentions too? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I don't remember either. I remember her saying, maybe it was on Twitter actually, where she was like, oh, she loved it. Anyway, I had never read a book before that took place in Trinidad, ever. Me either. This was my first as well. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. Um, and look at us reading diversely. Don't forget to check that off on your Excel sheet. Hey, <laughs> read a I book would... set in the Caribbean? Check. I would definitely <laughs> read a book by this um, author again. I really liked it. It was a good read. Um, uh, easy read. When I say that, when I say easy read, I don't mean like it's simple. I mean like it. It flows. It flows, and you can probably get it read over a nice weekend. Um, yeah, way to go. We liked it, obviously, because we wouldn't have dedicated the show to it. Exactly, <laughs> and I wouldn't have gushed about it on the year-end wrap-up show if I didn't love it. So, yeah, absolutely, there's that. Um, okay, I think we have sufficiently <laughs> covered 
Still the Well Runs Dry by Lauren Francis Sharma. Huh? This, I feel like this is mad long. It might be. What else? Definitely. Okay. So, last segment. You're always like, we don't have to do this. Yes, we do. <laughs> I, uh, is what are you reading? Um, so, what are you reading? That's why I always say we don't have to do this because I'm never reading anything. Okay. Um, actually, now, I, I truly am not reading anything right now. Um, or I should say I'm not reading anything that is released and out there for the general public to consume. Um, but I am going to be reading pretty soon um, Elizabeth's, Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. Mm-hmm. Um, which is about unlocking creativity and things of that nature. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, one of my friends recommended it to me near the end of last year, and she really, really enjoyed it. So okay, that's going to be my next big read. All right. Uh, I, I, I. Oh, I'm reading- sorry. What are you reading? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I'm reading. Um, okay. So I know I said that I would never, ever, ever read Harry and the Potters. But somebody was talking about it. I mean, people have been talking about this book, obviously, for the last 15 years. But (laughs) somebody somebody I follow on Twitter had finally read, sat down, and took the time to read all of them back to back. And she was so elated and excited about, like, oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh, like she had to sit with it, you know, for a little bit. And I finally said, I am missing out on a part of pop culture. To me, it start, it's starting to feel like, you know, people who are like they've never seen um, The Wizard of Oz or like they've never seen, um, what's another kind of standard, like Home Alone. Like I feel like, I feel like one of those people. And so I was like, okay, let me see if I can get through. I had read the first one, and I kind of read half of the, a little bit of the second one before. Actually, no, I got quite a bit of ways. I just didn't finish it. I thought I did. And then I saw, so that was the first thing. And then I saw um, the that they had all of the books on Kindle Unlimited. And I was like, hey, I don't even have to buy them, so why not? And I have been reading, and they, I've been reading. Um, Harry Potter Part 2. I don't know the names of them. (laughs) It's not... I get it. So far. And from what I understand, the writing and the story gets a little bit better, or gets a lot better through Book 3 and beyond. But, like, it's a nice little, like, okay, I'm interested. I'm flipping the pages. Like, I, I don't really... At this point, it's kind of, you know, child... It's a definitely a kid's book, but I'm intrigued because I know this is building onto something much bigger, but I get it. I mean, don't look for me to be on Tumblr <laughs> typing up my theories about what she meant <laughs> by this and that and this, but I get it. And so I am going to push forward. Also, um, I mentioned before that we homeschool, and so um, my daughter is being assigned all of the Harry Potter books. Um because I didn't want her to be like her mama. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't read, I read that literary classic, that new literary classic. So um, she is reading them. And so, you know, in order to keep the conversation going, I should probably have read them too. So that is what I'll be reading for the next however long. I think I might. Uh, no, it's not. I, I probably won't read them straight through. 
but I'm going to read all of them. So yeah, read. <laughs> that is awesome. I will never read the Harry Potter books. Okay. <laughs> and I always say never say never, but this is a promise I've made to myself. I will never read Harry Potter. I will never watch Titanic or The Notebook. Excuse me? <laughs> I don't want to talk about this. You in these movies. Don't want to talk about it. Do we not know how Titanic ends? This is what I'm saying. Ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't never stopped you from reading Nam biography, autobiography, <laughs> historical fiction. <laughs> it's like not reading like Roots because you're like, well, they get free. No, no, <laughs> like, it's not the same thing. Because I'm actually, I actually care about what's okay. happening in the middle of any of that stuff, and I really don't give a fuck about the Titanic, if we're being honest. Somebody, somebody on Twitter had tweeted like, um, "Oh, they wouldn't let black people on, on the Titanic. Let me watch it again. <laughs> people want to watch it with fresh eyes." <laughs> So, I think we've okay. gotten to the punch drunk section of the podcast, so that means we're about ready to wrap it up. We are, plus one of my children has their arm under the door. Oh, lovely. All right. Well, we will see you guys again in two-ish weeks. Two-ish weeks. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.